you know, I think one of the things that we have is a platform and a way mm. to share a global perspective and, you know, basically connect humans around the world through entertainment. I feel like interactivity in storytelling with this guided principle is the next elevation of storytelling. Right now, I'm in control of the story that I want to hear and tell and live vicariously. Because that's what we're doing when we're watching movies, right? We're right. connecting with the characters. Hi, I'm Jamin Warren, and this is the 256 Podcast. 256 is a marketing agency that prepares brands for the future of play and interactivity. We spend a lot of time talking to clients and partners about games, and so we thought, what if we brought more of those conversations to more people? To give you a little bit of background on the name, 256 is the agency side of a magazine I created called Killscreen. In 8-bit games like Pac-Man and others, level 256 has a bug that floods the screen with numbers and letters so that you can't play past it. I was so inspired by that and also the movie King of Kong that I called our magazine Killscreen. Get it? All right, now on to our guest. Juan Vaca is the first narrative designer at Netflix and has eight years of experience in the gaming world. Prior to that, he held the same position at Telltale Games, a game studio known for its story-first approach. If you're not sure what a narrative designer does, you're not alone. It's a role that typically exists in game development, not in TV and film. But I'll let Juan explain his role at Netflix himself. So I've been a narrative designer, and people say, well, what's that? You know, And I, <laughs> I've tried different things. I've tried saying, like, I'm a story designer or a story consultant or a branching narrative consultant. Um, my, my most recent one that I've been telling people when I tell them I'm a narrative designer is uh, I'm a creative consultant, mm. and I help support our content partners, mm. you know, tell their stories through interactive branching narratives. I support them in the long-term of what their holistic view of their story is going to be, as well as, you know, giving them tips on the things that I've learned along my time. Right. Like, so how does that process work? How do you assist so them in I, realizing that vision? I am in the post-green light state, right? And so I start as early as the story room and the writer's room, and I start thinking, okay, well, what are the things that really make this not just a great story, but a great interactive story, mm. right? Like what are the places in the story that the character can make decisions or the player viewer altogether make decisions to really influence the shape of the story and how, how wide can we go with the branches? Mm. And by that I mean how different are they? You know, what are the choices that can really change and affect the flow of the story so that every experience feels different but every experience is still fulfilling. Right, right. That's very interesting because not all choices are significant. Like, it, what are you looking for in a plot to say, like, oh, that's a choice that's going to yield a lot of interesting outcomes, and that's a choice that's very boring, right? That's not right. going to be very interesting for players. Right. Well, I mean, I could tell you the secret of my sauce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you can't have them all be, you know, life or death choices, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, understanding storytelling and pacing and structure will, you know, tell you like, okay, these are the moments that we need to build to, you know, and then have a weighty decision. And maybe later down the line, you know, we're not really making decisions, but the story is pivoting mm. and the story is changing based upon the decisions that we've already made. I was curious, do you think of the audience for 
interactive storytelling, do you think of them as viewers or do you think of them as players? So I think of them as players. I think we're still in a place where the format is so new that we're still trying to define that language. But I think the second that you create interactivity and it becomes active instead of passive, you now step into the role of the player, the character, the driver. I think that by creating these more accessible stories and interactivity, people will begin to kind of not only realize that gaming is fun, but that they've been gaming this entire time. You know, like <laughs> your mom might play like a match three game, right. you know, some Candy Crush, but she'll never consider herself a gamer. Mm-hmm. You know, like my parents, I, I watch my dad play not even Candy Crush, but some like match three alternative. But he would never say like, yeah. I'm a gamer. He would never pick up a piece. This is actually a really helpful to me because I've worked in games for like seven years now and I've worked with names that I'm proud of you know like Batman The Walking Dead Minecraft but my parents don't get it yeah you know, they're, they're immigrants they're older they don't have access to a Steam account they're not going to download the app and DLC yeah. on their phone but they still don't quite understand what I do and you know, like they're still proud of me, and they're they're just like, yeah, this Miho, he's he's great. You know, he, he, he does game stuff, and I think now is the time where, like, we can put that in their hands. You know, like the next thing that I want to do is I, I want to make a game for my parents, right. right? Like something that is accessible and understandable by all. That access piece is just it's just so so powerful in terms of no longer needing to be constrained by this big upfront commitment to demonstrate that you're someone who plays. Um, In a global context, I think one of the things that we forget about video games also is that access to video games has not been evenly distributed, right? It tends to be something that's popular in the United States, North America, um, obviously in Western Europe, Japan, Korea, typically like wealthier, high technology places. And one of the missions for Netflix has been to make the product available to all of these different countries. I was curious, how do you see the stories that you're creating meeting or catering to like a global audience? Because you're now in all of these other countries that traditionally for games have been maybe a bit more difficult to to break into. Absolutely. Um, You know, our mission at Netflix is to entertain the world. And we need a global perspective in order to do that. And in order to have that global perspective, you need that diversity and inclusion in the people that are making it, right? Mm-hmm. You need the people in the room to say, hey, I don't think this is why that works. <laughs> you know, but also have a culture where it's okay to say stuff like yeah, that, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, we need to respect and abide by those like differences that make us unique. But at the same time, understand that those differences are also the things that make us strong and the things that allow ourselves to be represented on screen, you know, properly in the right manners. So we are very delicate with the stories that we tell and the things that we put on screen because we want to give the best engagement and experience for everyone, regardless of where you are, regardless of whether you're on a phone or a 65-inch TV or if you're in a third-world country, a first-world country, or wherever. Are there certain genres that kind of work better or lend themselves more easily to an interactive experience? Um, I've worked on mysteries, dramas, thrillers, 
romance stories, comedies, teen. <laughs> like, I've done a lot. And they all lend themselves to interactivity differently, mm. right? Like, in a thriller, you probably are trying to escape from the big bad that's after you, or survival is your primal instinct. Whereas something with, you know, like a teen drama, it's really about socializing and making friends and building those relationships. And in a romance, it's really about maneuvering conversations so you get to know someone and build that trust if you are, you know, interested in them romantically. I think every genre has its potential for interactivity and I think if if we think about it the other way and we say oh we only make action stuff because it's easy for a quick time events we kind of do a disservice to what entertainment as a whole can be right like there are certain gaps that you know we should be filling and we you know there's so many stories to tell that haven't been told right right what kind of challenges are there in getting people to consume interactive content? Because I think in the past, you know, one of the barriers to people playing games and marketing to people who play games is just that word game. Like, oh, I'm not someone who plays For sure. video games, right? And I think mobile game makers have been very successful, I think, in transcending that, not having people necessarily have to self-identify as quote-unquote gamers. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges around some of the stuff that you do in terms of getting people like your parents, for example, to essentially play a game but without telling them like you're doing this because it's a game i I think the very first thing is signaling and identifying the experience that you're about to have right like nobody likes surprises that aren't good for them and if you're not wanting to be engaged in an active story like uh, interactive story um it could throw you off right Mm -hmm. it's like oh now i gotta do this thing i didn't want to do that i just wanted to (laughs) you know netflix and binge you know i just wanted to lean back you know we, we spend our days sometimes so consumed by the things that we do that at the end of the day, we, we don't want to engage. We want to detach and just rest. So for us, part of the challenge has been merchandising it up front, mm. right? Like letting you know, hey, there's something special about this run. And if you're curious enough about it, like you can engage. Then the second part is really working with the storytellers to create prompts essentially you know like questions moments of Mm. call and response we know waiting for the player to do something Mm. right like so that very first choice has to be engaging right Right, because for somebody this might be the very first time that they've ever played anything Mm. so it's like making sure that it's very clear what they're being asked to do that it's compelling and that they want to do that as well and then at the end when they click on the button that they want to making sure that we fulfill that promise making Mm. sure that it's exactly what they said because that moment of feedback is your very first impression and we had to make sure that that's a gratifying experience because we want you to continue you know doing that for the rest of the content that you know, we've made for you. Cool. So based on your experience, and you've got all this great experience in games and in interactive storytelling, what do you tell people who are interested in the space? Because we hear a lot from like companies and brands that are interested in interactive storytelling, but really don't know where to start. What do you say to them? What advice do you give them? I think the, the number one thing that I would suggest is to go after stories that haven't been told yet. You know, it's really easy to make sequels, you know, and make 
ongoing franchises, right? That's what people want to do. They want to, you know, it, it is a business at the end of the day. So people need to make sure that the product that they make sells or get subscriptions or people are buying whatever the in-app currency is for that progression. But I think that kind of leaves people in the margins with some really amazing stories. And when we exclude them, you know, we're kind of also excluding, you know, like in a business sense, a customer base, right? But if you don't think of it as a reason to get their money, but rather as like, everyone needs to be seen and represented in media. So I think one of the important things is to try to tell those stories that haven't been told, you know, with characters that haven't been seen in places that we haven't been. Um, I think there's a lot of curiosity and empathy that can be attributed to telling stories from the margins. Um, that would be my suggestion and advice for them. It may not sell and it may not be what they want to do, but I guarantee you that there will be an audience. Yeah. One of the things that's really exciting to me, particularly as someone who's grown up playing video games, is seeing these conversations around interactive content, some of the design process, some of the mechanics, some of the, the thinking around making games is working its way out into the wider world. That said, I mean, should every company be thinking about interactivity just because it's the big thing to do right now? I think interactivity, as game development has shown, is a very hard process. It is high risk, but it's also high reward. A lot of people getting into it are doing it for the first time. And so they might not understand all the work that it takes to get in. I definitely didn't when I got into games. You know, I didn't, I realized how big the pipeline was. But that's why it takes, you know, two to three years for these games to come out, sometimes even more, right? And that's just the production cycle. I think everything does have a, has a potential to be interactive. Everything has a story behind it. Everything can be branched. But maybe this is also me because, like, I, like this is the, the filter of, that I have, like, on my glasses, right? Like, I'm always thinking story. I'm always connecting dots. Sometimes they're not there. But, like, that's just how my mind works. So I think it is possible. I think if you really want to do it, then you have to do it right because uh, games require, one, so much work, but also an understanding of psychology and player base and what people want to do. And a lot of times when people are making content, they don't think about what the player is doing, right? Like they're, they're very egocentric and they're like, well, this is my story. This is what I want to do. And it's like, right, but you got to tell it for someone else, right? Like the player is ultimately who you're making it for, right? Because the second that they feel like, oh, this is no longer my story, this is someone else's story, that's where they're going to disconnect. And if they disconnect, um, whether it's because, you know, you didn't make it the right way or any other facets, that's where we kind of like lose as a whole, right? We lose out on stories. We lose out on customers. We lose out on people taking this entertainment seriously. Yeah. Well, Juan, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to all our listeners for checking out the first season of the 256 podcast, where we talk about the future of play and interactivity. This podcast is produced by Trisha Tonko with help from Anthony Martinez and music by Lucy. 
If you like the show, please share it with people and please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. We'll be back in a few months with a brand new season, but in the meantime, please let us know what you think of the show and let's stay in touch. You can find me, Jamin Warren, on Twitter at J-A-M-I-N-W-A-R. I feel like I'm leaving an order at Starbucks. You can also find 256, that's spelled out, on Twitter and at 256podcast.co, where you can sign up for our newsletter. Thanks so much and take care.